Today, we're going to talk about something we've already talked about a little bit. You'll see up behind me a statue of uh, Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel uh, actually told him what he dreamt about and told him what it meant. Eschatology 101B. That's what I'm calling today's message. Why am I calling it that? Because we've already talked about eschatology quite a bit. You've already been through a Revelation series, and so you've been through a lot of eschatology, but I wanted to kind of button some things up, maybe answer some questions that hadn't been answered, and after this, if you still have questions, you can ask Jim. (laughs) Or you can just open up your Bible and see what it says. I hope you brought your Bibles. I hope you brought something to write with because there's a good chance you might hear some things you haven't heard before that you might need to hear. This statue of Daniel, I wish I had more time to talk about it. I don't. I've already talked about it. And if you have questions, like I said, ask Jim. (laughs) After talking about end times things, uh, probably about six or seven years ago, I was invited to be a part of a group because I was so labeled. And that group is called Independent Christian Church and Church of Christ Preteris. That might not mean a whole lot to you. But if people hear me talk about end times that know something about end times, I typically get labeled as an amillennial preterist. No, I do not label myself that. That's what other people label me. But let me give you some names of some people who also have been labeled such. Augustine of Hippo. Kyle Eidelman. President James Garfield. Max Licato. And I could give you a much longer list. But those are some names we're very familiar with. And it's quite shocking that we might think that They think some of these things. If I were to suggest that you get a book or a set of books to understand a little bit more about eschatology in a biblical way, I would recommend probably as the primary source a book that's out of print. (laughs) 26 Lessons, you'll see it up behind me, uh, by Paul Butler. Dr. Butler was one of my favorite professors Uh, At the time, I was scared to death of him when I studied under him, Uh, but he wrote these 26 lessons, part one and part two on Revelation. And by the way, you can get this book right now on Amazon for the low price of $65 for a lightly used book. I've seen it with $100 added to it, Uh, but right now there's a copy available, at least at the time that I put this on my slides. I, for a while, what happened with me was I was in a church, my first church where I was the full-time lead pastor in Arkansas. By the time that I was wrapping up that ministry there, I knew I was going to leave within a year, I I wanted to um, fulfill what I thought God had me to do there, and there was one book that I hadn't preached or taught on yet as a preacher and as a youth minister and as a teacher, and that one book was the book of Revelation. So I talked to my leadership, and they said, no, don't do that. 
don't, don't preach on that. <laughs> and I said, why not? We need, to, we need to ask the questions and come up with the answers right out of the Bible. I was afraid of it. They were afraid of it. But we ultimately prayed it through and decided as a team I was going to go ahead and preach through Revelation. It ended up being a very good thing. The church got to see a surge in attendance. On top of that, we burned up. That's back when we, I don't know if you remember what cassette tapes are, but uh, that's back when we would use those. And the people were giving them to their friends because it was unique. And we had one of those four cassette burners where you could put one in and it could make four. Well, we burned it up. And then we got a 16 and we burned it up. And so we finally decided to contract it out through Christian Audio Tapes out of Cincinnati, Ohio. And they, they did all of those. There was a 30-message series on Revelation. And I thoroughly enjoyed going through it. And as a result of doing that, I got to travel the United States and even beyond talking about eschatology. It is one of my uh, subjects that I enjoy studying, learning, and teaching. Up behind me, you'll see if you do, I don't know if you've learned this, but if, when you talk to people who say, I've done a lot of research, what that means today is very different than what it used to mean. What it means today is, I googled. That's what it means. People throw it around like they really did research, and they Google. And if you haven't figured it out, <laughs> our uh, media giants, even Google, actually push things to the top that they think we need to read, rather than what we might need to read. So you don't trust Google. It doesn't really understand especially biblical things, and not a lot of practical things either. There is an agenda sometimes behind these pushing things up to the top. But if you Google and you find Wikipedia, there's another one, um, you'll find this chart up behind me, and it kind of captures the different views of end times. But I want to talk to you about this particular one. This one's trendy. You'll see the word trendy go across behind me. Anytime you're talking about biblical things and you say trendy, that should alarm you. It really should. It's usually, usually the popular thing is, is not the Christian thing. Even in the circles of theology, usually whatever is trendy is not necessarily what's popular. And it became very trendy, and it's done this throughout history. At the turn of the century, there are people that come out of the woodworks and tell us how we're supposed to think about end times. Because do you remember when the year 2000 was coming? We were about to hit that. I remember our son Jonathan was in the hospital. And it was very alarming because they had labeled everything with red, yellow, and green in Houston, Texas. All these big, giant medical complexes. They had red, yellow, and green. Red was, this will not work. When the year 2000 hits, boom, this equipment will fail. The yellow was, it might work, but we don't know. And green was, these will be good, this will be fine. I was in an elevator with a red sticker on it. Like, <laughs> I hope I'm not having to take this during the, the switchover. And the really weird thing is, uh, you know, most people were stocking up on water and supplies, like this could be the end, you know. Uh, I remember in Houston, Texas, we lived in Houston, in the city limits, and I remember when it switched over. 
We had a power failure. At that very time, we legitimately had a power failure. You talk about your heart, just like, oh, this could be it, you know. But sensational theology is a thing. There are churches, there's whole denominations that build everything on sensationalism. There are people that actually think as a Christian you're always supposed to smile, although I don't see Jesus smiling on the cross. Do you? Anyway, there are people that think that Christianity has to be this sensational thing all of the time. And sometimes we get a little caught up, by the way. Where we get the phrase caught up is out of 1 and 2 Thessalonians. You know, we use the word rapture when we talk about end times. We're not going to talk about that today except to let you know that does not appear in the Bible. The word rapture does not appear. But the idea of being caught up, that phrase is in the original language in First and Second Thessalonians. But what's trendy is this premillennial, or I'm sorry, pre-tribulational dispensation premillennialism. This is what is trendy today, and it was trendy certainly as we crossed over into the year 2000 with the Left Behind series and all that stuff, you remember. And in case you don't, and I'm not trying to knock it, but in case you don't know this, I want to remind you, that's fiction. It's all fiction. When Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins first began publishing the very first, they actually had a little note in the front of the book saying, This is fiction based on our opinion of what we think about eschatology, essentially. That went away when it gained popularity and most people forgot. And by the way, Tim LaHaye was one of the most brilliant minds in counseling that I have ever read. If you can get a hold of his stuff, it's fantastic. It's great. It's practical. But it was certainly trendy to get caught up in all the end times talk as we approach the year 2000. We've got a lot of territory to cover, so I want to get that done. I uh, hope that you are able to navigate through this with me. I want to give you this verse up front. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Doctrine is an issue of salvation. Now, when you hear me talk about things like the book of Revelation, I will tell you that it doesn't matter a whole lot that we grasp all that there is in Revelation, because in the end, we win. <laughs> if, you're, if you're on the side of Christ, great that you are serving Him and you live for Him, you're good. But I also want to bring to your attention that doctrine is an issue of salvation. It is important how we think about Scripture and how we teach about it. It impacts others. Now, last week, we also talked about that a little bit as we wrapped up 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read the last part again. Talking about Paul, Peter says, As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are such things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. 
Peter, at the very end, as he wraps up both letters, and he's not just wrapping up one, he's wrapping up both because he mentions the other. He compels people to draw near to the grace and knowledge of our Savior because other people will twist Scripture and cause us to lose our stability. I want to tell you this. False doctrine can lead to both spiritual and mental instability, which is practical confusion. Let me give you some examples. First of all, the microchip. Have you heard about the microchip? Oh my goodness, they're going to put chips in people and this could be the mark of the beast. They can put it in your wrists and your forehead because those are hot spots and that'll keep them, uh, you know, the batteries charged and then if somebody strikes you on your wrist or your forehead like in Revelation, you're, you're doomed. You'll have sores and it'll be just prophecy fulfilled. You're doomed. Don't get those chips because you're marked as the mark of the beast. Have you heard this kind of talk? Just Let's just back up for a minute. The, the God that you know and the one that I know, does he give us free will? Yeah. So don't you think he would give us free will if we made a mistake and allowed something into our body we shouldn't have? Could we still repent? Of, so don't, don't get so caught up in all these weird conspiracy theories. Let me give you another one. Um, let's talk about the coronavirus vaccine. Whether or not you are for it, or against it, this is not the mark of the beast. Don't even think that it's the mark of the beast. Don't let somebody tell you that it's the mark of the beast. You have free will. So you, if you lived in France, you know they all have to get the vaccine now. This is all being mandated. Everybody there, if you want to do anything, you've got to be vaccinated. So just because you're French today doesn't mean you're doomed for hell. You're not, you're not marked by the beast just because... Somebody came up with a vaccine. You, you understand the mark of the beast is, is actually submitting to the devil, not to God. You understand that, right? Okay. Just so you know, the most figurative book in the Bible is Revelation. So understand when you're reading some of it, it might be figurative. Just saying. <laughs> might help you there. But be careful, because false doctrine is out there. It's all over the place. One of the experts that even Fox News uses sometimes is Hal Lindsey, the late great planet Earth guy, the guy that predicted the end of the world more than once. So let's talk about revelations. Yes, I did that again. Notice the S. Watch the S behind me. It's kind of cool what's going to happen now. Oh, look at that. Do you see that? There is no S in Revelation. I'll remind you, it's Revelation, not Revelations. And when you hear people saying Revelations, you might want to pay careful attention to what Scripture says instead of what they're saying because they still don't understand it's a revelation of Jesus Christ to John. I want to look in Revelation just a, a minute. I want to talk to you about it because here's the thing. I told you about my history in Revelation. I, as I approached it, what I wanted to do was something different. So there is a thing called standard publishing. It's standard um, lesson material. Have you heard of this? Standard publishing? Standard, um, they have standard Sunday school material. Basically, it crosses denominational lines all around the world. It's used by a lot of various churches. It's good stuff. You can trust it for the most part. It's, it, the people that they have do these things are very dedicated to Scripture. 
Boise Bible College professors have used this. And by the way, they also, many Boise Bible College professors would be labeled just like me. And most of our churches, uh, professors in our colleges would be. But I want you to know you can trust standard lesson material. But what happens is, a lot of times in churches, what, the, what happens is we get the teacher is handed the material, and then we read what the material says we're supposed to teach, and we teach it. And we incidentally get some Bible. But the best way to study the Bible is to actually crack this open and read it. First, before you let somebody tell you how to think about it. That's the best way. Even if you have standard lesson material that you can, the preacher said it was trustworthy. Yeah, but still, if you know what the, the lesson's going to be on, close that commentary, open up your Bible, read what it says, and believe it. That's the first thing to do. And if anybody tries to tell you it means something else, there's a problem. And there's a lot of that going on. And, and we don't need to cloud our judgment with somebody else's opinion about what they think it means before you actually read it. So I wanted to do that as a fairly new preacher I, who had already preached and taught through everything in the Bible except Revelation, but I still was fairly new and I, I didn't want to mess it up. I, I felt like I'm going to have to stand before God and explain to Him what I do with it as I preach. So what I chose to do was try to approach it simply by reading it and ignoring anything that would come to mind that was going to shape how I thought about it. And I began to be troubled. So I read, I began to read Revelation and started saying, these things are soon to happen, I'm thinking. And, it, and it's written to s seven churches, and they have to repent. And if they don't, they're going to be in trouble well, five of them have to repent. Two of them are told, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a good job. You'll make it through these difficult days that are ahead. And I'm thinking, Wait, let's check this out. So I checked, and sure enough, those seven churches in Revelation, at some point in time, went out of existence. Some have come back in history. But wait a minute. Are there still supposed to be these seven churches waiting for these things to happen today? Or did they actually think these were going to happen in their time? I, this was troubling to me. If I'm, I'm a recipient of this and I'm one of these seven churches, I'm, don't I think this applies to me? Or am I supposed to think this is for a couple thousand years later? So I began to be troubled because I couldn't find very many commentaries that talked about that. The first thing that I discovered was the secretary I had at the time had a preacher who had written a book on Revelation, but the appendix or on eschatology, there was an appendix. He had a, an opinion about Revelation that was in the appendix, and it got removed, not even put into the appendix. But she got a copy of it, and she said, I think you need to read this. Because I share with people, I'm struggling as I'm preparing for this Revelation series. She got me a copy of that, and it and it was so refreshing. It's like somebody else just opened the Bible and read it and believed it. Oh, wow, I'm not alone. Then I started to learn there were others. That, that Max Lucado was one who didn't write about it, but he preached about it. And then I went back and I saw P.T. Butler's material. Oh, I didn't study that under him, but this is good material. And I began to find that I was not alone, which felt better. But here's where I began to relax the most. 
So I read, I, go, I thought, okay, just read it. Just read it all the way through. Revelation, just, I've done it many times before, but I want to read it all the way through and see if something just leaps off the pages and reveals to me uh, what I need to know. Isn't it funny that a book called Revelation is probably the most concealed in our studies in our churches? But what I did is, I, I, I discovered something fascinating. But first, let me, let me give you the beginning of Revelation. Chapter 1, verse 17, I want to give you this. When I saw him, this is when he saw Jesus, actually, I fell at his feet as though dead. He was quite astonished when he saw him. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. Well, that's interesting. Okay, so those things that, those are for now, and some things are for later. Write it down, John. Here's where I, I began to really relax. In fact, I remember pushing away from my desk going, wow. Here's... Let me paint the picture for you. And we've got a lot of verses to cover, so stay with me. We haven't even got to the big chunk. But here's, here's an amazing thing. John has been put on the island of Patmos. That's where he's been exiled. You remember this? He's, he's kind of like, not, instead of prison, he's put on this island with a bunch of bad people. What's he in trouble for? For being a Christian. He keeps talking about Jesus. And he's on the island, and while he's there, Jesus says, write this down. <laughs> this morning, coincidentally, I don't know if you listen to Southeast Christian Church Louisville messages, but you should. They're always top-notch. You can get on YouTube and do it every Sunday. And it's throughout the day you can find these. But today they have a guest speaker. His name's Mark Moore. He's a professor at Ozark Christian College. And He's a, he's a great teacher and speaker, and he's an author. But Mark Moore said something. He goes, does anybody else think that uh, John might have found some mushrooms on that island? <laughs> I mean, you, you, there is, it's difficult to grab a hold of some of these things when you're reading Revelation. There's all kinds of figurative stuff. But get this. He's on the island. He's got to write these things down, and then he's got to send them out to these seven churches. Okay, so the island is like a prison. The Roman guards are going to have to, some designate is going to have to read whatever goes out. Whatever mail comes in and comes out, you gotta, that's the way that it works in prison. So they're on an island. John's going to write something. He cannot write, hey, you know what? The Roman emperors and Rome, they're going to get theirs. You can't write that. If you write that, you're in trouble. It's not going to get off the island. So it's brilliant that God decided to inspire him to say things like, this calls for a mind of wisdom. Pay attention. I'm going to write some things cloaked in figurative language. If you pay attention, you'll get it. That makes sense. It's going to get off the island. I mean, the Roman, that is the, the guard that's going to have to read this, whoever's job it is to read the letters that John's writing that he's trying to disperse to the seven churches, they start reading this like, what's this about a dragon? This guy's lost his mind. Let it, just let it go. These Christians, I don't know. I don't understand this. It's going to make it off the island. They're not going to make it as far as I made it, as I decided to read through. Just read through and let 
let God reveal to you what this is about. And it was when I arrived in Revelation chapter 17 when I pushed away from the desk and go, wow, wow. Most, most of us don't make it that far. You and me, in, in today's world, the way it works typically is you start reading Revelation, you go, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand. So we pick up a commentary or we listen to a favorite speaker on it and let it tell us how to think. But I got all the way to chapter 17. And if you look at this, look up behind me. You see the passage. Verse 6 is where I'll pick up. And I saw the woman drunk with blood of the saints, the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. Okay, so now we're back to that descriptive when he fell on the ground, you know, and Jesus is like, hey, 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 calm down. Look, but the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. What? You're going to tell us what the vision means? I've been all the way through, and I'm now in chapter 17, and you're going to tell us what this means? I don't know how I missed that so many times reading it before. I, I, I guess I was letting other people tell me how to think about it. But the angel says to John, I'm going to tell you what this means. He goes on and talks about the, what the ten horns represent. And, and by the way, if you have Haley's Bible Handbook, it's a staple in most people's Christian homes. If that have Anybody that's going to go beyond just reading the Bible you want to study, typically you have a Haley's Bible Handbook in your house. They're cheap, easy to get. <laughs> Mr. Haley was not exactly a... Uh, conservative scholar. He did not believe in a literal creation, a literal flood even. However, he writes in his commentary on Revelation, I'm not going to say that this is all about the fall of Rome, but historically the fall of Rome lines up exactly as Revelation predicted. For a liberal scholar to say that, that says something. I went into a classroom. I was asked to come in Houston, Texas. I was asked, Pastor, can you come in here and straighten some things out? we got a problem. We're using the Reader's Digest commentary on Revelation. Now, you know that's... <laughs> I didn't even know that existed, but we're going to use it, and we're running into a problem. Okay, I go in there. What's the problem? Well, it's saying right here as it's going through, and it's showing us the history of Rome, and it's showing Revelation, and it's showing that Revelation predicted the fall of Rome, and it was fulfilled to a T. That's what they're saying. That can't be right. I don't believe that because, you know, left behind and all that. I told them, why don't you close the commentary, read it as a group, and see what it reveals to you, and then pick up commentaries. And you know what their conclusion was? That the Reader's Digest was actually accurate. I was surprised uh, they also pulled another commentary out of the church library written by Jimmy Swagger. Don't laugh. I'm related to him. I am. I don't know him, but I'm related to him. And, and actually, he's had his issues, but he's actually a pretty good Bible scholar. And when it comes to Revelation, he seems to have a grip. But look a little bit further. Revelation chapter 17. I have the wrong number. I do this. I'm so good at making mistakes. Uh, Revelation chapter 17, verse 9. This calls for a mind with wisdom. So let's, remember in elementary school, put on your thinking caps. 
The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Do you know what's historically and today known as the city that sits on seven hills? It's Rome. Yep. Okay. Verse 10, they are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only for only a little while. Verse 11, as the beast that was, was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. Now, I don't have time to get into all those details, but you, you should read history and you should see if it lines up. Here is the verse. This, if you don't have this one highlighted in Revelation, you really should. Chapter 17, verse 18 says, And the woman you saw, the woman who controls the beast, the woman you saw is the great city. What great city? You just talked about the city that sits on seven hills that has dominion over the kings of the earth. And at the time that John was exiled to Patmos, it was Rome. And he says... Look, look at this again. If you, the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. It was known that Rome, the city of Rome, was the hub of the control of the Roman Empire. How do you not see this? It's right there in the Bible. Isn't that nuts? I don't know how I missed it so many times. There it is. Okay, now quickly let's move into some other eschatological stuff. The Antichrist. Oh, we get to talk about the Antichrist. First John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. There's not one, many. That's what the Bible says. Don't let somebody tell you there's going to be one. There are many. There already had been many at that time. First John chapter 2, verse 22. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, this is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So the Antichrist is anyone who denies the Son. You deny Jesus, Antichrist. That's the Antichrist. That's the biblical definition of the Antichrist. There it is. I didn't make it up. It's not mine, it's the Bible. Okay, those of you who are numbers people, I'll tell you right now, we have this many verses to go. 44. That's no joke. We've got to get through them quickly. I'll try not to be like an auctioneer, but we're going to go quickly as we move along. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 24. Jesus speaks of eschatological things. Do you want to hear what he has to say? Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Whoa, so get the context. They're marveling at the temple. They're talking about it. Woo, look at this beautiful temple. And Jesus says, not one stone will be left on another. What's the subject? The temple. Don't forget that. That's the subject. People do forget that as they go through this. So I want to remind you. Verse 3 continues. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, so they're going away to retreat a little bit. The disciples came to him privately saying, this, this bothered them. This, what he said to them bothered them. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? Remember, it could be or going, coming or going, presenting yourself. 
and the end of the age. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. Why would he say that? Is it possible we could be? Even his disciples there. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Wait, wait, here we are again. Remember when I did this before? You hear of wars and rumors of war. You hear what happens? We're pulling the troops in Afghanistan. And hear what Iraq's talking about and Iran. Wars and rumors of war. Be afraid. Be very afraid. But your Bible says, see that you are not alarmed. That's what Jesus said. You hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. Don't be afraid. For this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. I wish I had more time. I don't, but we'll keep going because we got still several verses to go, but good stuff coming. Very enlightening stuff coming. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. Verse 9 continues. We're just going straight through. And put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise. Here we go again. You see this? We are warned. People are going to try to deceive us. False prophets will, uh, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, wait a minute. The end of what? What's he talking about? The temple. Don't forget the subject. They said, when will these things happen? When one stone will not be left on another? They're talking about, he was talking about the temple, which historically, in case you don't know, 70 AD is when Rome came in and laid waste the temple. That's when it happened. They're at here at about 30 AD, 40 years later, is when the temple was destroyed. Wait a minute, hold on. Look at verse 14 again. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, pastor, there's where you're messing up, see? Because it says the gospel has to be proclaimed to all nations, and then the temple will be destroyed. So you must be wrong about the 70 AD thing. No, I'm not. That's history. It happened. It's still not rebuilt. Go to Jerusalem and look, if you don't believe me. It was destroyed, and it's still not rebuilt. So how do you reconcile this? Well, it's not hard. What about preaching to all the nations? What about that? Okay, Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, the second part of the verse says, This is the gospel that you heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, have become a servant. My Bible and your Bible says that it was already preached to every creature. I'm not making this up. That's what it says. Are you with me? Okay, just checking. Verse 15. So this is back in Matthew chapter 24. So when you see the abomination of desolation, whoa, spoken by the prophet Daniel and mentioned in Revelation, Standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, hold on just a minute. Let's stop there. Because I want to tell you about Josephus, the Jewish, Jewish historian allowed by Rome to write down, document the Jewish history. He was not a Christian, did not believe in the Christian ideals, 
and did not believe in their cause. But Josephus commented about this. He said that when Rome came in and destroyed, just laid waste Judea, there were many Jews that died, but not one man, woman, or child connected to Christianity that was killed. And he said the reason for that was because all the Christians thought Jesus predicted this. Get out of Jerusalem. Get out of Judea. When you see these signs, leave. They all thought the signs were happening, so they all left. They weren't there when Rome went in and destroyed them. Destroyed all of Judea. I had a guy in a church in Missouri tell me that what he was reading about the end times was that as you see the signs coming, you're supposed to go to Jerusalem. Well, that's the opposite of what Jesus was saying. And the signs he was talking about were the signs that were to unfold before the destruction of the temple, particularly. But we'll continue. Verse 17, let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. So there's an urgency. You see the signs? Leave. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. You see behind me, I've got that highlighted a little bit, those days. You're going to see this again, because, and it matters. So don't neglect noticing those days. If you're highlighting in your Bible, that might be a little phrase to highlight. Those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. Wow, that sounds remarkably close to what Daniel said about the kingdom of Rome when it would come as being the worst of all of the empires. Huh. Well, that lines up, doesn't it? Verse 22. And if those days, notice again, those days. We keep seeing this, and you'll see it again. If those days had not been cut short... No human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, here's, here, he is in the wilderness, do, don't, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming, remember, coming or going, of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So, so everybody's going to know when these things happen. As far as east is the west, it's going to be very clear, very obvious. It's not going to be something that people don't notice that... Judaism, as they know it, will be destroyed, including the temple. Immediately, verse 29, after the tribulation of those days. There it is again. You see, are you catching this? Those days, those days, those days. The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven. I wish I had time to get into all of that. Job speaks of these things. We've seen these things in the Pacific Northwest. Stars fall from the sky a lot. You see that. And we've had eclipses. Those things happen, but let's, go, let's keep going. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming or going on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So once again, the Son of Man 
either ascending or descending on the clouds as a sign that things might be happening, might come to fruition soon. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, symbolically that we're all going to, everybody's going to know it when it happens. When Jerusalem gets destroyed, it will be written down. And like today, we'll be able to talk about it being a historical thing. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And then Jesus gives us an analogy. From the fig tree, verse 32, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. But he's talking about what? The destruction of the temple. Look at this, verse 34. Here is the one you really need to... I'm going to underline it right behind me. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. He told his disciples, this is going to happen in your lifetime. So don't let somebody talk to you about, well, you hear? There's hurricanes, there's earthquakes, and wars, and rumors of wars. This is the signs of the end. The end is coming. The end of the destruction of the temple? Well, by the way, it already happened. It happened in their lifetime. That's what the Bible says. There's, and here's the thing. What often happens is a preacher preaches, like I'm preaching right now, and people are like, I don't know, I haven't heard that. I, I don't know. You don't, don't trust me. Trust your Bible. Read it. See what it says. Believe it. You can't go wrong trusting this book. This is the wisdom of God. And if he said it happened in their lifetime, then it happened in their lifetime. He told them it would, so it did. He's God. Do you, you really want to take the chance and start blacking out this part of your Bible? No. Jesus knows about end times, and he has more to say, by the way. Verse 35, you see up behind me, I've got it yellow. The reason why I have it in that is just because I want you to know this is a transitional verse. He talks about how the temple's going to get destroyed. Judaism, as they know it, it's going to be destroyed. The temple is symbolic of that. It's going, to, it's going to be laid waste. It's going to happen in your lifetime. And then he says, heaven and earth will pass away. Things of this earth are temporary. He's just reminding them. Don't get too caught up in the temple. But my words will not pass away. Do you catch that? There's a, something is temporary, something is not. This is a transition all right, and if you want to see it even clearer, we're going to go on to the next part where Jesus really makes things clear about a, a subject that is related. Look at this. There's a transition further solidified, verse 36. But concerning those days... No, oh, no preacher, you got that wrong. What does your Bible say? That day. Is there a difference between those days, those days, those days, and that day? Does that sound different to you? Well, let's see if it is. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Wait, 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 hold, hold, hold on a minute. Excuse me. All these predictions, here's the signs, watch the signs, you know, don't, hopefully you're not on the top of your house when it happens. You know, hopefully you don't have to go in and get your cloak, because you can't, you've got to leave. These signs, when you see these signs, leave Judea. Get out of there. Those, that's, those days, here's the signs. That day, no sign. That day, I don't even know when it's going to happen. Now, angels 
don't know. Only the Father knows. There's, I can't give you signs for that day. Did you see that difference? There's a big difference in those days, those days, those days, and that day. Are you with me with it? Are you seeing this? It's, it's just plain right here in red and white. <laughs> if you've got a red letter Bible. For as, this verse 37, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Could be coming or going, but it seems pretty clear on this one what it is. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating, talking about other those days. That's not the same as those days we were just talking about, but for in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day. Isn't that interesting? He took us back into the Old Testament and had those days and then that day. When Noah entered the ark, that was the day. <laughs> and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in a field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. He tells his disciples, those days, those days, those days, here's the signs. You want to know when the temple's going to get destroyed? Here's signs. <laughs> it's going to happen. But when it comes to that day, the big one, you better stay awake. Just like in the days of Noah, on that one day when he entered the ark, they didn't see it coming. And so it will be with those who are not prepared, stay awake. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you all must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. You don't know. He's telling his disciples, you don't know. He's telling us, you don't know. I got signs for when the temple's going to be destroyed. For those days, those days, those days. But when it comes to that day, you just better be ready. I, I shared with you that I actually have heard people in, Christian, in a Christian church stand up. This person, I had, it was a kind of a, a debate, actually. The person was arguing that, you know, these prophecies or these, there's like a dual thing. When, yeah, he was talking about the destruction of the temple, but he was also talking about the end of the world. So, these signs have to happen. There's got to be some of this and some of that. He said, are you actually saying that Jesus can't come back until some more signs happen? You're saying he can't come back today? That's what I'm saying. He said that. Because that is what they're saying. Jesus said, you just better stay awake. You better, you were taught, remember when you were younger, many of you, you were taught Jesus could come back at any moment. And then somebody got a hold of us and started telling us, we've got to wait for some more signs. There's some signs. See, the things that are happening over there in the Middle East, whoa, got to wait for some more, and it's almost going to happen. They're saying, essentially, Jesus can't come back yet because there's still some signs we've got to wait for. But Jesus himself said, stay awake. You don't want to be like them and caught off guard when he returns. I want to remind you, Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 4, in the, New King, in the King James, 
a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. My words to you, when it comes to eschatology, just be ready. Ready.